LegalizeFreedom.com Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Beyond politics, poverty and war. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com I'm your host Greg Moffat and today we present part two of our interview with Thomas Sheridan discussing his latest book, Sorcery, The Invocation of Strangeness. The interview resumes as we discuss CERN, the Large Hadron Collider and the nexus where sorcery and science meet. So earlier on you mentioned CERN and the Large Hadron Collider. Now, this has always fascinated me. Where magic or sorcery and so-called modern science kind of intersect, and you have the same sense that I do that there's something more going on there than meets the eye, whether the people involved are aware of it or not. Let's face it: the scientists at CERN, which I actually labelled the world's biggest cathedral, are looking for something—an ultimate reality. They're on a quest for the source, and it's deeply religious, but. The other dimension of that is, I, I did an interview with someone talking about CERN, and I was asking about, you know, someone who knew a lot about particle physis- physics, and I was saying, so, I mean, this Higgs boson, it was around the time it had been quote-unquote discovered. I said, okay, well, is there something there that we can pick up with a pair of the world's smallest tweezers? Turn it over and look at the other side of it. You can tell me what colour it is and what shape it is. And this person basically said, well, no, there's there's nothing, nothing has actually been observed and I was kind of, well, is it real then? So I began thinking, and this and this person I was interviewing actually admitted, that in a sort of exasperation with my line of questioning, said, maybe they're conjuring this. Maybe the, the desire to find this particle is bringing it into being. Perhaps you can speak to the, that aspect of science, because I think in this respect, the Hadron Collider and the activities at CERN are absolutely unique. And I, I just something incredible is going on there. And do you remember that whole episode where they were talking about switching it on and it was saying it might just rip the fabric of the universe apart, but shall we do it? Yeah, go on. I know. Uh, you also know that CERN released the World Wide Web on Valpurgis Night to the World and I think it was 1994. So they're a funny bunch. Yeah, oh, it's, that's definitely the nearest thing to Hogwarts in the scientific order you'll ever get. <laughs> it's, it, it is the ultimate magic circle. Having been there, I haven't been inside the place, but having been outside it, and seeing it lighting up the mountains outside just Geneva and realizing that thing is consuming a colossal amounts of power to ultimately look for nothing was kind of a wonderful metaphor for reduction of science. It's that they, it's just like Crowley said, you know, scientists that could, are constantly discovering little bit of magic and thinking they're very clever for it. I agree with what Rupert Sheldrake said about CERN and Higgs boson, that it was the sheer will and focus and desperation of the scientists at the location, at the Hadron Collider, which brought that effect, that echo of Higgs boson, wherever they recorded, into manifestation. What's happened, there's also a very interesting photograph, which is no longer on the internet, and I can't seem to find it anywhere, and it shows the scientists in the, 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 auditorium at CERN from around the world being shown the first whatever it is slides or video footage of the Higgs boson and someone took a photograph of them and it looks like a religious cult in a state of rapture their hands are in the air like these evangelical Christian groups their mouths are wide open they're all hugging each other in tears and it's very uh, an interesting insight into the 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 deeper they go into the world of their own science, the, the closer they're getting to spirituality, religion, and magic. So yeah, whatever. I don't. I don't even know what CERN is. I mean, I've spent some time in recent months looking at their 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 website and their magazines and stuff like that. Their newsletters, and it's it's really a kind of initiative initiative thing. It's like 
you, you, they let you know what you need to know on a need-to-know basis. You have to be really in there, and there's probably demarcations like the Freemasons or something that at the top they really know what's going on. You mentioned the quote in your book, is it Arthur C. Clarke, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Uh, I know you took issue with that, but um, I when I, I looked up that quote yesterday, I'm not quite sure why, but I just stuck the whole quote into uh, a well-known search engine and it came up with an article basically just saying, oh, this has always annoyed me. And it was trying to differentiate between technology and science and or what the writer perceived as magic. But what the writer came down to was that as far as he was concerned, magic was basically parlor tricks. You know, it was Paul Daniels stuff cutting the lady in half and rabbit out of a hat and all that. But those things have got, are not what they appear to be. They're just sleight of hand illusions. You can well explain the rabbit out of a hat uh, when you actually just explore how it's actually done and cutting the lady in half. You can go and look at the equipment they used to do that. It's not actually what it appears to be, but that's not the same as what we're talking about. So I liked that quote uh, from the point of view that uh, it, it's a case of it just... it presents the perspective of like what you know and what you don't know what you understand and what you don't what's happening what's happening in front of you is what it is but do you understand the process the mechanics or anything like that and also do you believe it's possible all of those things if you see what i mean so i guess what i'm saying is i'm going back to the point earlier about science and sorcery and the venn diagram idea is that we're talking about in many ways the same forces here it's just a question of what you call it, how you label it, what your belief system is, what your background is, what your agenda is, what the baggage that you bring to the table when you talk about these things. Well, the reason why I, you know, invoked that quote was not so much because of him or the origin of the quote that it's true meaning. It's just that I'm. It's tiresome after all these years of every reductionist robot or internet debunker skeptic uh, invoking it like a mantra when they have to be encounter something that's you know outside the, the their worldview it's like the uh, Carl Sagan one extraordinary you know claims require extraordinary evidence they just say that as a mantra to shut you up and that was the main reason I included that in the book I'm sure there's enough in Carl in in Arthur C. Clarke's writings to suggest that he had a far more deeper understanding of these things than just uh, your usual reductionist mindset. Oh, of course, yeah. And I think that the article that I read, the writer there was doing exactly what you just described, just looking at something that was outside what he believed is possible. Talking about uh, what's going on at CERN and the the whole uh, arena of particle physics in general, you talk about, when we talk more about sort of cosmology and related areas about dark energy and dark matter in your book and this is very significant because once again the modern science is currently telling us that these things exist but they they're inferring their existence because partly because of their supposed effect on other things that we can see but also because of the huge differences between measured energy and apparent manifest energy if you see what i mean and you make some very interesting speculations and come to some very interesting albeit temporary conclusions about what dark energy and dark matter might signify but the bottom line of it is that no matter which angle you're coming at it from is that there's this huge mass in fact most of what apparently is out there is unaccounted for well almost most of the universe is missing i don't mean the universe just out in outer space. I mean, the the world and the universe around you, most of it, I mean, you and everyone else, is missing. 96% to 98%, depending on who you ask. And again, they only discovered this when they couldn't find the means for gravitational forces to be able to hold spiral galaxies together. There had to be an outside force doing it. Without going too deeply into this topic, I believe that, dark, and I'm not the only one actually, the dark, so-called dark matter, dark energy is consciousness. I mean, just we're back to where we were, where that you know everything out there is a reflection of what's in here. Uh, I believe that that dark matter, what they call dark matter energy, and I'm just using those terms for now, and I make it quite clear in the book that when I use terms like quantum and matrix, these may change tomorrow. But dark matter energy is basically where magic happens. So it's the interface between consciousness, intent, and result. So you have a situation where you have a highly charged emotional feeling towards somebody, and they pick it up on the other side of the world. 
So it begins in your, your conscious mind, although it may be rooted in a subconscious force that builds builds up this, probably always, and it, it manifests in your nervous system. Your nervous system then is interfaces with this mar- dark matter energy and transmits it to any side of the universe you want. Again, a low-energy system and pushes it out there, and it's enough for the other person on the other side to suddenly think about you and call you up out of the blue after 20 years and say, you know, for some reason you just popped into my head today. And that's, I think that interface is, I think dark matter energy, it terrifies reductionist scientists, not because they can't find it or know what it is, it's because it opens up implications. And I think they are coming around to that. I think they're slowly introducing us to the fact that they're out of control, when you really think about it. They don't have the control they do. And after all the years of like, the likes of Richard Dawkins and Brian Cox saying, well, we're nearly in the point of discovering everything. We're not even close. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think the dark matter energy thing is, is basically the, it is the medium. It is the, it is the force that allows magic that trans, transmits consciousness into, into, into manifestation. Maybe the dark matter realm is where Lovecraft's demons come from or those creatures in Stephen King's The Mist, you know, perhaps sometimes it breaks through into our reality. Yeah, that's a very astute uh, observation. Uh, they often enter into our, our minds through dreams. And uh, although dreams are a subconscious mind giving us, you know, messages, it, it's also a kind of a, like a, a news bulletin of the universe as well. And that comes into our dreams. Now, Lovecraft developed his his writing from these experiences he had as a child that were incredibly vivid and terrifying nightmares, where a kind of shadow type being, like called the which he called the night gaunts, tormented him. But they were probably the entities that in whispered the Cthulhu mythos and other things into his into his uh, into his ear as a child, into his his, his, co- his subconscious mind as a child. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, this is, it's, it, it's, it's, it's just like I think I heard Deepak Chopra, and a lot of people make fun of Deepak Chopra, but in the early days he did some tremendous work. And he said something like, not only is the universe stranger than we think, but it's stranger than we can even think. And this is why we probably have to rely heavily on things like metaphor, allegory, and art in order to navigate some kind of understanding of it. Because it's something like, dark matter energy you're never you're going to you're probably never going to have a scientific language to to outline that but the language will be things like mythology fairy tales lovecraft and even that stephen king story the mist this kind of thing they do actually not describe it but to help you formulate it and resolve it into something that you can at least work with you mentioned in passing Rupert Sheldrake there, and I'll just make this comment in passing. You talk about suddenly you popped into my mind sort of thing, and a lot of his work is basically trying to scientifically quantify and understand a lot of this uh, non-material phenomena, and I think he's coming at it from a good perspective, actually, because he's, you know, he's a pr- fairly rigorous scientist, but he's also aware that that's matter isn't the only thing that matters. So I recently did an interview with him, so if, if listeners are interested, they can find that um, page on the website, I'm going to just turn to technology and sorcery a little bit more in detail. And I want to jump into something that you've talked about multiple times and you know you've got personal experience of. We've just been talking about CERN, but there's other areas when our technology has interfaced with unseen forces, realms, uh, occurrences, just things that are, to repeat this yet again, that are beyond the limits of our five sense reality and i think electronics for example and, and sorcery electronics and the unseen are something that you've got personal experience of and you you've talked more than once about the early days of radio uh, in this respect and that's absolutely fascinating when we think about how the technology of you know computers and electronics how the accelerating curve that that's on of development and what that might mean for the future um in, in this respect well the early days of radio was driven and this is not you know not commonly talked about by the need to contact quote unquote spirits 
this was uh, the height of the spiritualist movement and this I you know the parlor rooms of middle class America and England and Germany and most of the West were consumed with trying to contact dead relatives and radio the early development of radio was a belief that these devices or machines using crystals which all interestingly always also show up in megalithic sites uh, could be used to contact these quote-unquote spirits now analog electronics is a very interesting thing because it functions in the same way we do and there's a passage in the book I talk about an experience I had when I was quite young I was probably a young teenager and it was when I first read got into Lovecraft I was reading like a corgi or paperback of his stories and I, I can even remember the story I think it was The Haunter in the Dark and I, under my bed under the covers were a little crappy little ever-ready flashlight remember those square shaped ones that yes. took a kind of a square battery and then a, a plastic Phillips red night transistor radio that took one of those square 9 volt batteries and listening on those crappy old white plastic earpieces in mono to Radio Luxembourg, and this kind of magic thing of moving around the AM or the long wave dial that we have in this part of the world to tune in certain stations and hearing the state static. And when you're a little kid, your imagination runs away. Am I hearing aliens? This kind of thing. And you would hear things like, occasionally get glimpses of things like Morse code or radio band or police radios, because radio frequencies are not fit in the analog, are not completely fixed. And I was reading... I'm reading away, and then I'm finished, and I'm reading, and I'm, I, I, I'm listening to the radio, and suddenly out of static I hear, Rhode Island's number one Buick dealer. Now, I didn't need, I didn't know what Rhode Island was, well, I didn't know what Rhode Island was, but I didn't know what a Buick was. It, you know, it was this American, an ad for an American car had a, came all across the way across the Atlantic and ended in on an AM radio that I was listening to in Ireland. Now, that's not unusual. That happens all the time. There's certain climatic conditions can make radio waves travel colossal distances. And now and again, people have picked up, you know, even gone out of space and come back. Dead people have made transmissions and they've picked up after they've been dead. They've come back from space, which is kind of a type of time travel when you think about it. But uh, it was what made the significance was that I was so absorbed into my early forays into H.P. Lovecraft. And that's... Of course, he was based in Providence, Rhode Island, where most of the stories take place. So, it, it, you know, since then, I've come to believe that my concentration, my will, you holding the radio in my hand with extreme teenage puberty chemical concentration nervous system and the big metal uh, antenna aerial like a magic wand pulled this signal in. I've no doubt about that. And I've always been interested in electronics anyway. And when I went to study um, electronic engineering in college, uh, I used to, at the same time too, I was get. this is when I was about 19, I was really getting heavily big into magic then and doing a lot of ceremonial magic and following all the, you know, the, the, big, the big tomes of the time and Oh, you're back good. Okay, that was weird. It was weird. Unfortunately, I can't remember exactly where you were when you got cut off. Talking about analog electronics, but I don't know where, though, yeah. Probably best if you just go back to wherever you want to and all of that. Before you do that, I just want to say, this sounds really cliched, but the last five seconds or so of your voice before it dropped... It went down in pitch about a couple, a, a couple of tones, and it went distorted. And you know, in the movies, when you hear a demon speaking, <laughs> it was just—it was exactly like that. Because I was thinking, like, what the? F and then you were just gone. You should—if if you have that recorded, you should keep that on the air for posterity. It should be there, yeah. Because I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm recording on a like a separate system, so it should be there. Yeah, you should broadcast that just for a laugh or something at the end of the show. Yeah. Well, my own interest in electronics led me to study electronic engineering in, in college. At, I was about 19 at the time, and uh, it was a very unhappy experience, I have to say, in college. I, I did not fit in. I was not comfortable, uh, not from an academic or any point of view. I just It just wasn't a very happy time for me in my life. At the same time, I was a bit of a, a loner practicing magic, and I had gone through the basic systems. I even hung out with some people from the Golden Dawn for a while and this kind of thing. And what was amazing was that I was 
in the lab, complete results and everybody else in the lab building specific electronic circuits. Now, it wasn't a problem because the, the lecturer would test them and run over the circuits. They were fine. They're working fine. But no matter what it was, the components, the circuit diagram, the, the mathematics behind it, the physics behind it, it was all the same. I would just get, and when I say wildly, I mean wildly different levels of atten attenuation and resistance. And anything I touched, even the sawtooth capacitors, would give out a different reading on the oscilloscope. And eventually, uh, the lecturer just said, you must have superpowers. And jokingly, by the way. And it was okay, it was just a bunch of these kind of things. But it was, the, I think, I was in a state of extreme tension, extreme, not I would say unhappiness. So just that I wasn't feeling right. At the same time, too, I was pouring all this energy into the work at, at college, and I was actually transferring my magical state into an electronic state. And that's why electronics and magic have such a close a close association. Well, as I quite often do in these things, I like to look at uh, the realm of popular culture uh, to look for parallels. And, you know, because quite often, as we've discussed before, stuff comes out in pop culture into our consciousness that has got no other way to kind of get out there to manifest. And when we did the Druid Code interview, people will find a link to that on the interview page for this. We talked about, we're talking about the power of megaliths, you know, and how some of the physical mechanisms might be going on within stones in terms of recording past events and transmitting power and being uh, repositories of power. We talked about the movie Halloween 3 and the goings on in that. And when reading your new book, I started to think about when you were talking about electronics and sorcery, I started to think about pop culture manifestations of this and, and where computers, you know, in the age that we live in now, particularly with the internet, I mean, think what, what a broadcast, what a receiving and broadcasting tool that is. I mean, that's had a huge effect on the collective consciousness, but I was thinking back to, the early days, the early 80s, I remember watching like Poltergeist, the movie, for example, when you have things manifesting through the television. There was a, one of the old video nasties. I remember Evil Speak when the guy uses a computer as part of his spell casting. It, this is a little sidebar, I would say. If, the, if this talk was a magazine article, this, this would be a sidebar and it would be like cult TV show for people interested in the topics that we are discussing here. And that would be one of my all time favorites, Sapphire and Steel, which was a British TV series from the 70s and um, people can just look this up but i thoroughly recommend it i'll just simply say that sapphire and steel are a couple of interdimensional operatives and the premise of the show is that the time is like a progressing corridor that surrounds everything but there are weak spots where time which is implied to be a malignant force in the show can break into the present and steal things and there are also creatures from the beginning and the end of time that roam the corridor looking for weak spots to break through so that that's my recommendation for <laughs> for this show but yes um computers and technology have almost become like extensions of our consciousness or interfaces i'm not even sure perhaps both actually yeah i've never i've never seen that tv show and now i want to watch it it also reminds you a bit of Time Bandits, where you could jump in and out of time at different wormholes. Oh, wow. But, if, you, if you haven't seen Sapphire and Steel, I mean, when you get time, just dive into it. I think you'll love it. I'll definitely check that out. No, I, I, I do remember when it was being advertised on TV. I just, I thought it was a detective show when I was a kid or something. It's a shame I missed out on that. Oh, well. Anyway, yeah, uh, we were saying, yeah, the idea of that the, the compute, like the, the now the, the digital magi is the internet. And this is a, this is another kind of magical circle. And it's a new world. It's one with fraught with many dangers and many gifts. And when we enter this magic circle, it's probably going to be the biggest magic circle of all we'll, we'll ever enter into. Because you're actually, you see, one of the reasons in modern magic and sorcery why you don't need to perform complex rituals anymore is because the, we have an, abundance of energy at our disposable that they didn't at the spot pardon me we have abundance of energy at our disposal that they say the victorians didn't and in order to, to to build up a charge they would literally have to embark on these massive and complex ceremonial rituals in order to generate the levels of psychic energy that can be achieved on the internet through various means this is also why you don't need those rituals anymore to, in order to be an effective magician. Now, that doesn't mean that those those previous complex rituals of the Golden Dawn and so on 
are obsolete, far from it. But think of them in terms of being like, we had Mozart operas, we had Wagner operas, and now we have, you know, five-minute metal songs or three-minute three pop songs, picking up the same levels of energy. Energy has been compressed into tighter and tighter spaces. So therefore, in the modern age, we don't need to actually create magic, massive magical rituals. We can get them very easily. And, and, and recent times has been an enormous... Uh, validation of that when you see things like 4chan and the whole keck and memetics thing and how basically a bunch of computer geeks hacking games ended up actually affecting the US presidential election and resurrecting a, an obsolete uh, Egyptian god of chaos in the process these are amazing things this is, this is the new world we're into and this is where I've often had a, a sense that if when you have an insurgency like legalize freedom and to legalize freedom to gain freedom like the show says you you know in the past you would have done that by probably protesting or marching or forming a committee and doing all these kinds of things nowadays you do it on the internet and one person on the internet can wield enormous power if it can create the, the right meme and this is what happening during the u.s presidential election it very much was a magical war against particularly against hillary clinton which i'm proud to say i was a part of that as well because that that individual absolutely terrified me it wasn't because i thought trump was a wonderful savior of humanity it was just the, the thing was to get her out at any cost keep her out there keep her away from the button at any cost and uh yeah, and it worked. And you could have like one kid in America or China or Japan or France or England or anywhere who could create a meme that could actually destroy a press conference that she had spent and paid a fortune on and spent hours getting ready just by making a funny meme. This is, this is the gesture craft. The gesture craft has now come into its own. And yeah, I mean, this is, this is powerful stuff. But the thing is, again, it's a science and it's an art. Some people are just naturally inclined to be better at it than others, and they will gravitate towards it, and they will have enormous power on the internet. And this is you can see the terror that is unleashed in the sort of mainstream system that that you know a cartoon frog was being called like a, a, you know being held up on par with the swastika, a symbol of pure evil in this world. And this is how frightened they are of it. This is this is a window of opportunity we have now. The internet allows us the ordinary nobody, a magical means to affect the world to a degree that has not happened probably ever. Again, it's not a manifestation that happened in this post-9-11 world we spoke about earlier on. And you, I, all of us have the ability, if we have the right kind of talent and the right kind of ability to actually conjure up and manifest what we need through these types of information, these compressed forms of information on the internet such as memes. And as you've written about many times, and as we've spoken about in the past, particularly when we're discussing your book, Anvil of the Psyche, we're living in the midst of, have been for some time now, but increasingly so, in the midst of social, political, cultural and corporate spellbinding through advertising, propaganda, trends, you know, what we're all supposed to be into now, the symbolism of corporate logos, the memes that do the rounds from time to time. Uh, well, constantly, actually. And then there are public spectacles. You, you, we've talked about 9-11 extensively, but we could be thinking now about rallies. You can go right back to the Nazis for the, the uh, rule book on that. Sports events, concerts, all of this, all, all of these have a magical dimension, if not being completely magical. And they, whether it's deliberately or otherwise, you know, having an effect on individuals, on groups, and in the case of 9-11, on us collectively and then you have people like um although carl rove the the u.s politician denied actually saying this when you think people like that coming out and saying uh, when we act we create our own reality and as much as i snorted and felt contempt when i originally heard that whether he said it or not there's a dimension of truth to it in, in the sense of what's possible i mean when trump got elected you had all these people becoming hysterical and casting a mass binding spell against them, which, by the way, was completely badly thought up and misconstrued. And I often wondered it was a, some kind of prank by some kind of dark magician to lead these people into a trap. But it failed miserably because it was completely wrong and it was coming from the wrong place. You cannot, you should never curse someone who has done you no personal harm as an individual. It doesn't matter who they are. 
you, you should not do it. When these people seem to be, have been led into a trap, again, we, we, have, we have some very powerful wizards operating on the internet who are not open and overt about it, but they're playing the right kind of things. They're playing the right kind of games. And, there's, you know, the, the great magicians of the day are not in a tower somewhere with a, an ancient book of grimoires conjuring up demons. They're on the internet building artificial realities for people to fall into. It's almost like a form of creative writing in terms of creating a false reality, in terms of a dialogue or a storyline that doesn't exist and making it exist. And the fact that so many people on the liberal and left-wing side got caught up in that Trump mass-binding spell to the point where websites that are autumn would all, you know, regularly the spiritual look down on anything supernatural and try to call themselves sane and, and rational were actually promoting it shows that there was an instinctual magical response going on there that somehow magic had played an enormous part a gigantic in fact i would say that magic was the, the, two, the 2016 presidential u.s presidential election and these people were were aware that they had not got who they wanted in power because they had missed the magical boat they had missed a magical train when it pulled out of town and their frustration was based entirely upon this, followed up by a lame response, a dangerous response for themselves to try and affect the result afterwards through this mass binding spell. Magic is not going away. This is the most amazing thing. And it's something that people listening to the show need to be aware of. Just because we're moving into a more technological world, a more internet world, a world based on tech, does not mean that magic is vanishing that it's, it's being lost in the miasma of the Middle Ages or the folk magic of Iberia or Ireland or Scotland or France or the Appalachians or whatever. Magic is bigger and more powerful than ever. We are in the domain of magic. And, and, and of course, things like 9-11 were part of that process. But this idea that magic is now a thing of the past is so completely wrong. It, we are now living in the, the era of the greatest potential of magic and the, the potential of the individual's will to actually change whatever they want ahead of them. And the internet is the one thing that does, and this is terrifying, the control system. It's terrifying. them. They did not expect this. They thought that every, every single person on the internet was going to be posting pictures of their dinner and uh, talking about the latest pop stars and gossips and TV soaps. And they were shocked to find out that an enormous portion of, civ of, of the civilization they thought that they had over had under lock and key were feral magicians who were using the electromagnetic spectrum to basically launch a passive and, to a degree, a more overt insurgency. Well, I mean, I just recently arranged to do a show with a past guest of mine, Gary Lachman, one of the few guys I think who gets this in the way that you do. I'm going to be talking. I'm just you know putting in a plug in for my own program here. We're going to be talking about his book, Dark Star Rising: Magic and Power in the Age of Trump, and this is acknowledging exactly what you're saying there. And you talk about magic not going away. What you're saying is basically emphasizing how this is just an eternal thing. It's just part of what reality is it's not a, a quirk of it it's not a sort of byproduct it's not a, a period piece or anything like that it's one of the fundamentals and that again goes back to the title of our talk but you know so i think it's this we're seeing the same things manifesting down the ages and just giving different names to them but that again that partly reflects our uh, myopic view of things and our short-termism you know we think that a human lifetime or a few centuries of history is some kind of big deal there's billions of years at conservatively of cosmic existence and probably so much more than that that we couldn't even begin to count it and i personally the people who subscribe to the idea that that reality is just doesn't have a beginning and an end the cosmos doesn't have a beginning and an end and what that says about what we're talking about i mean it puts the whole human perspective or certainly the materialistic human perspective in it, sh it shows it in its true light really which is this incredibly tiny pinprick of perspective and thought in a picture that's just impossibly big well i'm very important very excited about this gary lackman book because along with 9-11 the election of trump is also this one of these stargate moments now no matter what you think of trump is irrelevant no matter what people's politics are it is irrelevant magic doesn't care 
what you what you feel about it. It doesn't need any of us to editorialize it when it's happening. And I really do feel that Pete, like I, I, I on the internet back in two thousand, well into two thousand sixteen. Suddenly, after thinking the usual things about Trump, not that he was a fascist, that he was just a TV personality and a, a real estate guy, magnet was maybe running for president of his own ego, watch certain speeches and and observe that no, this this is different. This guy is is different. He's 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 the heralding of a new world in some ways, and this only increased the more it happened. And when it came to the United the election. Greg, I don't know if you were following me and my friends on Facebook, but we were literally in a, a shamanic state when that was all going on. We were actually predicting in the morning he would be, he would be. We just felt it. We just felt that there was some kind of magical force that was going to do this. And again, this is not for politics. This was this was purely. He was a lab rat. He was a specimen. What was happening was a laboratory thing. But when at three a.m. three a.m. in the morning, when the the, the 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 graph flipped and Clinton went down into the abyss, and the star Trump rose up, a, a perfect X. She starts at the top. He ends up at the top. But she's at the. She ends up at the bottom. He ends up at the top. It flipped at, right in the witching hour of three a.m. I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up. And then the next, we were in a different world the next morning. And the sheer hysteria of people were basically acknowledging that they'd missed a boat. And that is, you see, this is why I feel bad for people. You need to, this is why I want you to read my book and read the Gary Lachman book, is to understand that there's a magical evolutionary process within the whole that's going on. And if you're not able to ride with it up, Unobjective of political, cultural, or religious affiliations, it can be incredibly exciting and charging for your own life, particularly in terms of creativity. You don't worry about anything like that in the, in the in the greater schemes of things anymore. You just basically see it as a form of energy, and you're on a surfboard. It's a wave, and you ride it. You're not emotionally, psychologically, or any other way connected to it. And when you live like that, you will find that your life is a hell of a lot easier. And you're not putting up a resistance against the, the cosmos. You're flowing with the fluctuations. And this is why so many people, when Trump got elected, lost their feckin' minds. Is because they were trying to literally hold back universal changes and they were just and and if they can i think some of them are now coming around to see it they can't they have that they couldn't switch off the left right blinkers uh the whole political they could not see it for what it was a charge of energy neutral at the point of zero to be grabbed and taken any way you want instead they missed the boat it left them and they were left you know they can always jump back on again hopefully at some future point but uh, uh, when trump got elected I, I cannot even begin to explain to you how exciting it was for me, like personally. Not because I like his policies, I think he's a wonderful man, it just was a magical spell that came fantastically through to fruition. Simple as that. Well, Brexit here in the UK and Trump's election did not happen at the same time exactly, but every BBC news broadcast that I have listened to since that general period, and I've listened to a lot of them, all of them, feature some mention of Trump or Brexit. Every single one. And I personally know people, good, intelligent people, who have been very exercised by, not so much, I mean, the Brexit thing, but I've noticed it particularly with Trump, who every single day online after his election were just beside themselves. They could not accept what had happened, what was happening. And from their perspective, of course, with good reason, but I was surprised at just how unhinged they became, how much it took them over. And I remember thinking, this is not going to do you any good. You're really not, you know, you're hurting yourself. I understand how you feel. I understand where it's coming from. But the, the things you're saying, the way you're behaving is wanting to just fly in the face of reality. And it's almost like no matter how, what your view of the universe is, you need to just accept where things are now and then go from there. But it was backpedaling uh, at a furious rate. I mean, you could see the smoke coming off the <laughs> the, the cogs, you know. And it, it was absolutely unbelievable. I've never seen a reaction, a visceral reaction to that, anything like that in my entire life. It was absolutely incredible. And thinking about Trump's election made me think immediately about your class system of sorcery that you talk about in your book. 
And I'm wondering, um, I don't know what your take might be on this, but, the, you know, Clinton and, and all that establishment lot who are there kind of fully understanding the power of propaganda and all the rest of it and engaging this stuff, trying to advance their agendas. And then the rest of us kind of being told it's all a load of uh, nonsense. Was Trump one of the people I spoke about earlier who's accidentally stumbled into the arena and is only now maybe realizing where he is? I think Trump is one of them. Uh, a magician, I mean. Uh, all you have to do is look at how he, he's enjoying playing with people. All he has to do is post something silly, anything. You, you know, even tell you what he had for tea. And the millions of people will go into psychotic convulsions. If that's not magic power, I don't know what is. And you don't get that accidentally. At some some point along the way, he has been engaged with, consulted, spoken to. I mean, he knows a lot of people uh, that have taught him these magic tricks. I've known that about it. On social media, which we, you and I both engage in because, you know, we choose to, there's certain, there's a lot going on there. There's energy that's very, very interesting, but you sometimes respond to the fact that we're in thrall, collecting to a sort of never ending cascading cycle of wars and pandemics and economic, environmental and other crises and comment at how similar this is to the, the high priests of the past who would mesmerize the population by saying you know you do my bidding or pay me tribute you know or the sun will go black fully knowing yeah. that there that there was going to be an eclipse for example and yeah. you know the more things change the more they stay the same really and that just reflects a position we set out several times during this interview which is what we're talking about something eternal here and what we're looking at uh, in terms of the political scene and you know in economics and all the manifestations of the modern world indeed the technological dimension as well it's just the current way that these things are manifesting themselves well it's only a nightmare if you think it's going to change it's going to get better this is why they they're constantly selling utopias to us at the same time it's only a nightmare if you think that one day or hope one day that we're going to wake up one morning and we're going to have this kind of like egalitarian peaceful utopia where you know everybody is happy and content and all this kind of they wouldn't want to live in that kind of there'd be no energy in it in that kind of world to begin with secondly that's 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 what causes the, the, the anguish and the disappointment this is what causes people to have psychological breakdowns when something as pointless as trump is president or brexit happens in the schemes of how they are in their lives it's it's ridiculous my, my advice to people would be, rather than being caught up in the turbulence of it, understand it for what it is, but understand that it will never change. There will always be dark, high, mad, black magi who will do this to you. Your job as a, as a, as a person, if you understand your magical self, is to not to, not to engage with it in terms of an emotional connection. And they do. They just, you have a thing that's going down in Syria right now. I'm seeing people going absolutely mental over it. And, uh, it's the beginning of spring. There's flowers are blooming. The birds are singing. Why are you not out there hiking a walk in the woods instead of like being on the internet, being spellbound by these black magicians who have you consumed with what's not you? I mean, in general, anyone listening to this, consumed with the latest world news. It's been like this what, since we were forever. You go back to, I was, YouTube is fantastic, really. You go back and watch the old news at 10 on ITM with Trevor McDonald and that, or Peter Sissons, I think, before that, and you'd have that, that, that chime of Big Ben, boom, inflation is down 6%, boom. The whole thing is like, it, it, when you start looking at it in magical <laughs> terms, you're seeing some kind of witch doctor standing next to a giant drum saying, and on the eyes of March, boom, the comet will appear in the sky between, our, you know, between Ursa Major and Cassiopeia, boom, woe to all. It's the same feckin' thing. You know, and it's like uh, the ones who didn't get spellbound down by that back in the old days were the ones who said, you know, you know, feck this for a game of cowboys and went off into the woods and did things creative. And the same rules applies. It, you, look, you, you, you only you only become it, it, it captivated by the charisma, the, by the dark charisma of these magi, is if you stay there and look at continue to pay attention to them. Just as an aside, but very related to all this, uh, Barbara Bush. Uh, finally kicked the bucket, we learn, on the uh, newswire today. And uh, not her in particular, but she made me think about some of the other political establishment. We're talking about Hillary Clinton, 
But I also, when we think, we look at actually how she physically changed during the course of the election. Then I think about the fate of Bill Clinton. Then I started thinking about David Rockefeller, who died not that long ago. And I think about George Soros and Peter Peter Sutherland dropped dead. Yeah, yeah, and uh, other uh, international chessboard uh, manipulators, uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski, Henry Kissinger. And where I'm going with this is in the light of how Hillary Clinton was physically changing throughout the last election cycle. I'm thinking about some of these characters I've just mentioned and you look at them and it's kind of horrifying. And I think not just the physical, but I wonder what the psychic cost for them perhaps has been in engaging in some of the esoteric activities that they have. We want to call it black magic, but it just made me reflect on that. Talking about the, the you know, the high priests of the past and, and the high priests of the present and about the class system of sorcery that we mentioned a few minutes ago and thinking about pure intent and it seems to me that at the end of the day there, there is a toll to be exacted and extracted here and uh, what you give you get yeah in their case the hounds of the abyss have been summoned they've done what they've been asked of them and now it's feeding time it's simple as that exactly exactly so i think in closing thomas i just offer a thought and this is really just my version of what you've been saying throughout. And really, that re- the reality is somewhat optional and you can influence the events and the course of your existence in a direction that's in your favor under certain conditions and to a certain extent. But really, in the light of all the, the psychic attacks and the assault from all the directions we've just recently spoken of, our job is to take or retake and hold on to as much sovereign power as we can to not just to survive this but to thrive in the middle of it and instead of worrying about shadowy elites controlling everything and conspiracy theories maybe to acknowledge that in fact nobody's driving and that in the dichotomy of chaos versus stability that stability is really stagnation and that change is in fact the only constant i think that's some a lesson that everyone learns in their life sooner or later sometimes to their cost and if you there's something that you don't like if you can change it do so but if you can't yeah. accept it and move on, basically sort it or abort it. Understand magic, understand sorcery, build your own magic circle, protect it, work within it, safeguard it, because no others, there's no end of others who want to build one for you without your permission. Splendid. Thomas, today we've been talking about your latest book, Sorcery, The Invocation of Strangeness. Let people know where it's best to get a copy of that tell them about your website anything else you'd like to stick out there yeah i don't sell on amazon anymore because well the cia has enough money and they they just don't support uh up-and-coming authors or main you know non-mainstream authors so uh, go to my website thomasheridanarts.com the ad for the book is right there on the front page click on that takes you to the direct link to where it's sold from and it's it's that easy Excellent. I'd also suggest the listeners that if they haven't already, they look on the interview page for, for this talk, find the links to our previous interviews, explore those because there's a lot of material there, hours and hours of uh, information and insight, and they will find uh, like a thread running through everything we've been saying today and all the previous talks, and because this is all fundamentally about one thing. So finally, Thomas, thank you very much for joining us once again on legalizefreedom.com. Always a pleasure, Greg, and thank you.